Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Yes, I vote because I feel like as an African-American female, like I want my voice to be heard. And um, conservative values. So I vote very conservative. So I try to vote for candidates that have very conservative viewpoints. Oh, I don't vote anymore now. Why not? Um, just because I don't. Um, I vote because it is our right to vote. And I take it seriously. This is San Diego Decides, a podcast by Voice of San Diego. I'm Sarah Libby, and I'm here with my pal, Rai Rivard. Hey, Sarah Libby. Hey. Hey, welcome to the second episode of the podcast. Let's get this started. So last time we taped this, there was one person in the race for mayor challenging Kevin Faulkner. Laurie Saldana. Laurie Saldana. We talked about her a little bit, and now things have changed a bit, so... Ed Harris, a former councilman, temporary councilman and longtime lifeguard chief, has jumped into the race, and he actually stopped by the old podcast studio at Voice of San Diego, and Andy Keats and I had a long chat with him a few days ago, and so we're going to play a few select choice cuts from that (laughs) now. Here's what Ed Harris had to say. What was it that made you decide that you, you needed to, to get in the race? You know, it, it's um, certainly last minute in as far as my entry, but the thought process and the, um, you know, the, the interest has been going on for about six months. And I think you probably have heard some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly labor, certainly the Democrats um, ha- have a lot of conversations and, and I couldn't get there mentally. You know, I'm at the end of my career. I spent, you know, I had four years in the Marine Corps. Uh, I've been with the city 26, 27 years. Um, and so, you look at 30 years in public service and, and it's not really always what watermen and people want to do in their, in their 50s to 70s, which are pretty active, fun mm-hmm. parts. And so um, I wrestled a lot with it. I wrestled with, um, you know, the fact that, you know, I've got a son that I took backpacking in Nicaragua um, this last summer. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, just quality of life, different things that you want to do. But I also have always fought that urge to fix things, that urge to get in. Um, You know, I've represented the lifeguards now in our own uh, association union for about seven years. Uh, I brought them into their own, uh, gave them a voice. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was really important at an important time. So that urge to to move ahead, I feel, uh, you know, I was a kid, came out of the Marine Corps, was jogging on the beach (laughs) down in Mission Beach and saw a flyer on a trash can for lifeguards, and it led to a phenomenal career. So you, you get in the race at the time that you do. I think uh, maybe you disagree with me, but it's got to be considered an uphill fight. Mayor Faulkner is an incumbent. Incumbents rarely lo- lo- lose in citywide races. Um, you're starting with, you know, a bit, you know, a bit behind in the fundraising cycle and the sort of those sorts of things. 
Um, what you know? What's your outlook in terms of of uh, how likely you are to win versus whether this is an opportunity to raise issues and uh, you know elevate uh, discourse and kind of get people to talk about things that are important to you? You know, it, first of all, I've been in the conversations for a long time. You know, some of the people that had a lot of influence in me getting in was Save Our Neighborhoods. Um, they've been talking to me for several months about for our listeners. Tell us, Save, Save Our me. Neighborhoods um, are very concerned with the RBO. They're very concerned with things like height limits, um, different things. Density, uh, we want density, um, but we also want the transit first. We don't want to figure it out later, you know, so um, protecting the coastline, those kind of things. There's a coastal coalition group that I'm part of that it has a lot of very active people in Ocean Beach, Pacific Beach, and La Jolla. Um, the uh, Raise the Balloon people, uh, the 30-foot height limit people over in Claremont, also really concerned about changes um, not that nobody, they're not opposed to development. They just want it done right. They want that transit. They want, um, they want to make sure that it's not rushed through and, and just, you know, it's, it's classic because all these projects do a traffic study, right? Mm -hmm. And it's meant to make it so that it's not going to have a negative impact on the already difficult traffic. Well, are any of those studies working? Because <laughs> I see traffic getting worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, as far as odds, I don't worry about odds, you know, um, you go in and you have the conversation and, and what I hear from people in every sector is they want a normal guy. They, they, they want someone that's going to be here. He wants to be here. He wants to protect this place and doesn't want to use it as a platform to go somewhere else. You mentioned a couple, a couple issues that um, were important to the, the, the people that talked to you and that you've been talking to as you got into the race. Uh, you, you mentioned vacation rentals and density in the way that relates to traffic uh, transit and height, but more broadly, you don't run for office if you think things are going well, right? You don't, you don't no. run for office if you think that the guy who has the job right now is doing a good job and should be able to keep doing the job. So what is it, you know, what, what are the issues that, re that really motivate you to say that the current mayor isn't doing enough and that you can run against him or should run against him? Well, we just did a city survey and that survey, as they all do, one, I, I personally think you could have put the money somewhere else um, because we all know that police is very high. Public safety is very high. Um, and we also know that our roads aren't fixed. OK, so you could have saved some money on the survey. Um, nothing. I won't say nothing's changed, but we're in the same place that we have been for or worse for the last five or six years on the police retention issue. Right. So they're leaving at a, either the same pace or faster. Mm -hmm. uh, firefighters are leaving the same, we're a revolving door of firefighters are getting trained and they're moving to other cities. What's not being talked about is dispatchers and lifeguards. So let's talk about dispatchers. The region doesn't have enough dispatchers, a very difficult skill to acquire. And I know a lot about it because my mom was one for 30 years in Orange County. Mm -hmm. And so I have friends that are dispatchers that are telling me they've got calls holding for a really long time. So we spent an enormous amount of money trying to bring the call time down for firefighters by one minute. And then I would ask you to independently verify because I'm getting stuff secondhand. And I want to be honest about that. But if, if we are calls holding for five minutes, 911 calls, we got a big problem in the city. Mm -hmm. Nobody's talking about those. Well, I want to push back on one of those things. The police retention, I've not met anyone in the city or seen any numbers that dispute what you're saying. But... There was a there's a new labor contract and the police chief, Shelly Zimmerman, um, went and told the city council and the mayor that this new contract would address the problem. The fact that it hasn't is is 
a cause for concern, I imagine. But it isn't as though people ignored the issue, right? Now, it turns out that seemingly they didn't address the problem adequately, but they did at least have somebody who is the chief of police saying that it would. Do, 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 do you see what I mean? And I understand that. And she said the other day that it kept it from getting worse, but it's still basically where they're at. Yeah. So you can continue to take baby steps and try to address a problem. But if you're hiring every police officer that meets the minimum standard, mm-hmm. are you getting the best officers? Yeah. If you're $6 million over budget as we are right now in police overtime, wouldn't it have made more sense to put that into salaries rather than paying the $100,000 to train a new one so he could walk out the door? Mm-hmm. So you got to think a little globally. You got to go to your police officers and not only um, make them understand that you value them, mm-hmm. that you want the best ones so that others come from other departments and the other ones come back, but that you're going to put enough resources into your lab, that you're going to put enough resources into investigations so that you have uh, a work product that they're proud of, that they're not overburdened, and that they can walk out at the end of the day going, this guy's got my back. So I think when voters are considering some of these issues and police in particular, I don't think the first thing that jumps into their mind is overtime or uh, retention issues. I think they think about their safety and their interactions with the police and their communities' interactions with the police. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit, you know, the the department's been in the spotlight a lot over the last year. Um, We were involved in an issue in which we uh, sued to get access to police footage. And so I guess I want to know sort of more broadly how you think the police department is performing and whether you think there are any changes that could be implemented, um, specifically coming from the mayor. And that's what needs to be explained, first of all. These are these are all coming from the mayor, strong mayor, former government. You know, he, he, we didn't have to have a city attorney's opinion to say, you know, it's up to him to release footage. Uh, Shelley works for him. Release the footage or I'll fire you. It's, it's that simple. These, these are something that he needs to be out in front on. When you, you know, as a Marine, one thing I learned the most about is morale, employee morale. And you have to have high morale. You have to hire the best. And so um, if it wasn't for your reporting, yeah, we wouldn't have gotten some of that. So I, I'm appreciative of that. Um, but I'm also, I have a, a brother that's a 30-year um, veteran of LAPD, you know, who who looked at it and he, he, has, he has a different take. So, um, you know, that you got to start with, if again, if you're hiring everybody that meets the basic criteria... We get our best lifeguards when we've got a pool of candidates and we can look at them and say, yeah, they're all qualified, but I know this is the best one. And when a department looks over at San Diego and and they say, hey, this San Diego is a great department. Not only do they pay well, um, their their boss is good. The um, the labs are staffed. They don't have uh, their investigations aren't aren't, you know, um, questionable. And, and, and I'm not saying that is, I, I, you know, we are backed up by the police all the time. I have great friends in the police department and they're just doing everything they can. And so, um, but we can do better to support them. Shelly Zimmerman continues to be police chief or not under you? I think I would come in and I would try to ask her, what do you truly need to fix this department? You know, and, and have you tried everything? But, you know, she's she's slowed down. I know some of that we had some really, uh, and you guys reported on a lot too, you know, some of the Revelos and, and some of the, the bad characters in the police department. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, I wouldn't say that, that she comes or goes, um, you know, because I do believe she's trying, but I don't know that we've given her the tools. So if the council um, is, is only allocating so much and in, in what's being put in the mayor is so much, I mean, it is a strong mayor form of government. Trust me, the council votes 
90% of the time the way the mayor wants them to vote. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's money that can get moved around. And uh, I would absolutely make it the top priority. And I would go in and I would sit down with the top brass and I'd say, look, this has to get fixed. You got six months. I wouldn't say she'd be gone tomorrow, but in six months, you better start making moves and we're going to, and we're going to fix this problem because we're not going to wait. Jerry Sanders was talking about the police department problems. Right. And the only reason why we're doing um, public policing again is again, people were, were talking about it. You know, ocean beach is so frustrated because they get a different person. They're leaving so fast mm -hmm. that they just promote up. So now you're promoting a, uh, it used to be maybe a person was in a, in a position 10 years before they made first level of management. Now maybe they're there three years. So what kind of um, mentoring, what kind of guidance are you getting? We've got the same thing going on in the lifeguard service. So if you, it's almost like you didn't get a chance to be part of your kid's life and mentor them for the first 12 years, and then we're just going to throw them out in the public and maybe give them a two-week academy or a three-week academy. You know, th these things need to be slowed down, and, and we, we just we got to keep the best. Yeah. So uh, we had um, uh, Scott Lewis and I in our podcast last week had uh, – Jason Rowe, the mayor's consultant in, and he said that the, their internal polling puts the mayor's approval rating at, I think he said like 69%. He didn't show me the, the, uh, poll. So let's give it a little bit of healthy skepticism, but let's say, uh, you know, let's stipulate that he seems to have to be pretty popular, that there seems to be, uh, based on everyone I've talked to and when they poll the issue, um, the people who know who the mayor is think he's doing a pretty good job. And there's, plenty of reason that 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 would be happening for him he's been the mayor during a time when the economy has grown therefore budgets have grown therefore he's had the opportunity to restore services as opposed to cut services what is what is missing from that narrative that you think you can tell voters what what is the story you can tell voters about why they shouldn't be as satisfied with mayor faulkner's tenure um as they think they are i think the mayor has done a good job of of Focusing on things that are important to polling and they've mm -hmm. been into voters in small increments, giving scraps, spreading them around so that uh, he's got talking points in a lot of different areas. Every decision, I mean, the delays on getting anything done in the city is insane. Um, a lot of those are political. You know, the two, over two years since we've tried to get uh, a plastic bag ban through, 128 other cities have one. Um, I expect that it'll go through this spring right before election time, right? Mm -hmm. So do you want a mayor that's going to make decisions based on a political calculation or do you want to do the right thing, push it through because it's the right thing? I built a house, uh, did a major remodel in 2001, did another one in 2009. The, the process by the time I got to 2009 was twice as hard, way more expensive. And everybody I know that's got projects going right now in their personal homes, is it's even worse. So um, the city's got to run. And so for it to run, um, how many Fortune 500 companies do you know uh, demonized their employees and, and actually were successful? You, you have to support the system. You, you don't build a great city by not taking care of the people, not only that work here, but just the average citizen. Mm -hmm. You've got to do – that's who we work for. People forget that, and I remind upper management and the lifeguard service, the people drowning out in the water don't care that you're a lieutenant or a sergeant. They just care that someone handed them a buoy or picked them up off a board. And the only reason the rest of us exist is for that person to get saved by that lifeguard. So city's the same way. It's a person emptying their trash, sending a police officer, sending a firefighter, making sure their project could get done. 
It's not to use as a platform for corporate America or to use as a platform to go to another uh, another seat, uh, either at state level. If you don't fix your backyard, um, the illusion that we see and everybody's so upset about, you know, as we're seeing with Trump and we're seeing um, across the nation in, in Congress and the national level is everybody's been duped and everybody's seen that. And, and people get to Congress by starting as council members, as by starting as mayors and governors. And they learn the art of illusion here, and uh, they're magicians, and the victim's a taxpayer. So what's the what's the illusion? What's the what's the what's the sleight of hand he's pulling on the people of San Diego? What is what, what's not happening? One that we're going to smile and say everything's fine. Yeah. Okay, if you've got a delay nine one one system, if you haven't fixed your and stabilized your police department, if you're covering up roads but you didn't do the pipes underneath and, and the cover you're putting on is going to last three three years until you're out of office, mm-hmm. um, then you're really not fixing it. Right, you have to see past your term of office. You have to see that, no, I want to make the city great. Um, and I want it to be great when I leave. Um, and I'm not using this to go anywhere. I want to kind of zoom out just a little bit. You and Kevin Faulkner are both similar age, similar backgrounds. Um, you represent similar coastal cities. What are kind of the big picture distinctions that somebody who maybe doesn't follow, you know, management issues at the city super closely, uh, how would you distinguish yourself from Kevin Faulkner on a, a broad level? I'm a I'm a back to basics guy. Okay, it's the same thing with the lifeguard service. It gets down to water observation. Same with the police. It's the service that you that you put in. Um, look at uh, managed competition. You guys did a piece in 2013 during the mayoral race in which he pledged to continue it. It's going to be a 20 million dollar savings. Um, at, absolutely, I'm going to commit to continuing to do it. it hasn't been a word about it. We just got a report that the fleet services is um, mothballed. Okay, in order to show a balanced budget, when Jerry walked out the door, they pulled all the money out of our accounts for trucks and everything else. People had been set aside for a new fleet. So we could say we balanced the budget. But all we did was rob the future. Okay, Kersey's plan is going to do the same thing um, for Prop A. Uh, it's That's the illusion. Okay. Um, I would have gone in there and said, no, it's not going to work, you know, fleet services. We built three lifeguard towers uh, and did two other projects, big remodels. All of them were done with low bid, outside construction, and they were done way over budget. Years, you could build an entire hotel faster than you could build the four years that it's taken to do La Jolla Shores Tower, La Jolla Cove, which is about the size of a doghouse. Um, and the construction flaws are off the charts. They leak. Um, there's conduit running on the outside. The only project that worked and came in under budget on time is the one done by city labor at the boating safety unit with no construction flaws. So you got to look at that and you say, okay, well, something should be privatized out, but if you don't grow up in the lifeguard service or the city as a general, if you didn't start at the bottom, like a lot of companies do, you start in the post room and you work your way up, you don't know what's working and what's not. And that's what I bring to the table. I know the city inside out. I've been here for 27 years. So it's interesting to hear you say that that's how you distinguish yourself, though, because and you can dispute the merits of, of this being the case or not. But that sounds very much like the case Kevin Faulkner would make for himself that that, um, you know, under my mayoral tenure, we got back to basics. We were paving more road than anyone's ever paved before. Um, we're expanding the budget to provide additional parks and, uh, you know, the city's running more smoothly than it ever has. He's, you know, he's, it's not, 
it's not like he's going out and making a a bold ideological case for himself that you know he were uh, remaking government in the image of Barry Goldwater. You know he's he very much positions himself as a centrist who manages the city effectively, and that you don't have if you like living in San Diego and you think things are going well, then you don't have much room for disagreement. Um, and you, so it seems to me like you're actually making very, very much the same case in a lot of ways. You're now you're drawing particular things that you think aren't going as well, but it isn't a uh, a, a different image of 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 the mayor's office particularly. Yeah, I guess the difference is, uh, you know, the mayor is, I, I believe, his degrees in PR, mine's in the Marine Corps leadership, and so it's not the image that you put out; it's what the product is, and so. Um, at the end of the day, you have to ask your neighborhood what's getting better. Okay? I don't lock my car because I don't want someone to break the window. It's just easier for me nothing leave nothing in it. Every once in a while, a couple months, uh, you know, I see someone rifled around my glove box and it's open and there was nothing to take. Uh, when you have 38 places to make a, a non-emergency call to report those kind of things and the line is two hours long, a lot of people don't report it. So it doesn't mean it's getting better. Mm-hmm. And so... I see the same 26 years of the, of, the mou- of the mouse or the hamster on the wheel and those things not being fixed. And so uh, what I'm projecting is, yeah, there's a huge difference. I'm going to go in and fix it. So there you go. There's three people in the race for mayor now. But even given that I'm not that certain that it's going to be a really invigorating discussion about the race for Mary. I think Kevin Faulkner is still going to have an easy path. Who knows what will happen? But I think one race that has proven to be very contentious and very tight um, is one that our friend Andy Keats wrote about this week, and that is the race for city attorney. So we mentioned this a bit in the last podcast, um, which was all about endorsements. And we talked about the Republican side um, in that case uh, because Robert Hickey, a assistant district attorney, uh, is running and has yet to be endorsed by his boss, Bonnie Dumanis, the district attorney. Um, But on the Democrat side, there's a much uh, closer and more contentious battle um, as there are several Democrats running. And, you know, soon the Democratic Party is going to weigh in on who to endorse. Um, it's it's shaping up to be a tight race between two candidates in particular, um, and that is Rafael Castellanos, who's a port commissioner and an attorney, and Gil Cabrera, who's obviously also an attorney and a former chair of the San Diego Ethics Commission. Also in the race is Mara Elliott, who is a deputy city attorney. Um, but like I said, Castellanos and Cabrera have raised a lot of money, and um, Castellanos in particular has uh, racked up a lot of these small Democratic club endorsements that he's going to use to sort of make the case that, you know, all these smaller clubs have endorsed me. It's time for the bigger um, Democratic Party to weigh in. Yeah, I saw him out the other evening at one of the Demo- uh, Democratic uh, Party groups, and uh, he was sort of working the room. And uh, you know, this I, is Castianos. Uh, Castianos, mm-hmm. and uh, they're still, you know, obviously still waiting for the the main party's endorsement. Um, but he was definitely definitely on the scene, and I did not see Cabrera there. Yeah, so that brings up an interesting. So you guys need to read the story by Andrew Keats, um, particularly because the quotes in it are like the claws are out in this. Um, one thing that sort of demonstrates what you were just talking about is uh, Castellanos' uh, campaign advisor um, basically 
not even basically literally call Gil Cabrera lazy for not sort of working these clubs and, and really fighting to get these endorsements the way uh, Rafael's ha- has. He said, I think it shows he's the hardest working candidate. Um, and some of the other candidates have frankly been pretty lazy about it. So that's Castellanos's Ouch. Ouch. Um, campaign advisor. It's pretty intense. There's also this thing about the Port Commission and how it can be used as a a sort of political stepping stone. Uh, Cabrera's uh, political side is sort of like you're on the Port Commission, you get access to donors, you get some 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 name ID among people who pay attention to the Port Commission, um, and and you sort of have this. Somebody even compared it to an incumbent status, which is a a little weird for a Port Commissioner versus a city attorney. But anyway, um, and then and then uh, Cassianos' side sort of said, yeah. You know, uh, Cassianus used the Port Commission as a chance to get out there and, and talk about himself. Who knew? The Port Commission. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. I think one of the things that Andy revealed that he essentially said, yes, I knew all along I was going to run for city attorney. And that's how I was able to wield this spot on the Port Commission, too. I told people I was introducing them to what the Port Commission is. But really, it was a chance to introduce myself as a future city attorney candidate. Yeah, and he got on there in, in 2013, so he's had you know basically three years now of, of being able to say, I'm a port commissioner, here's what the port commission does, and, and stand in a bunch of rooms that just some guy running for something in a couple of years wouldn't have, wouldn't have been in. And I think that also helps explain why this race is so contentious is because it's actually been going on a lot longer than you might think because they've both been sort of planting the seeds for these runs for years, really. Um, so it's no wonder that they're very invested in seeing it through. Um, But then there's another Democrat in the race, Mara Elliott, and she's raised a lot less money, as Andy pointed out, um, but she has sort of a built-in advantage, and that's the title that she has that will appear next to her name on the ballot, which is uh, Chief Deputy City Attorney. You know, so we talked last week about endorsements and kind of when they matter, and I think we talked about for a lot of people, they matter in races that they don't really understand the role. And so that's when a title like this could also come in really handy for people who don't necessarily know what a city attorney does. And they see, well, she already does it. So that seems like a good qualification. And and plus, she's a woman in a race with with some dudes. And that that could certainly help people think. Could be a built in advantage as well. So I think a lot of the consensus is that Robert Hickey has the the support of the Republican Party and other conservative business groups and and all the advantages that come with that. So he's likely to make it through to the November election. That's not necessarily a given, but it just seems like that's the way that this race is shaping up. So the party endorsement could essentially help figure out who that next candidate um, for the Democratic side against Hickey is likely to be. It's getting fierce out there. Um, People are taking the gloves off. You know, one other thing that comes up in this race a lot is something that our colleague Leon Dillon covered in depth is these sexual harassment allegations that once faced Rafael Castellanos um, in a lawsuit from a former coworker. And I'm not going to hash out the particularities of that case. Um, You do well to go read uh, Liam's piece on it if you want to understand what the allegations were there. But this is something that Gil Cabrera is obviously not letting go. And he's saying, yes, Castellanos has raised more money, but he's going to need more money to explain to voters why this doesn't matter. 
And there's this sort of specter of Bob Filner hanging over all of this is people saying, well, we don't want another one of those. Not that any of the allegations against Castellanos necessarily make that something that he would say people need to worry about. But there's just that that shadow over everything now. Yeah, it's very weird. So it's going to be a fight. It's already a fight and it seems like it's going to get pretty contentious. So that's one that we're keeping a very close eye on. But now I want to talk about another race that isn't getting, you know, the lion's share of attention so far in this election, but um, has a lot of candidates in it and is an important one. And that is the race for City Council's District 9. This is a seat currently held by Marty Emerald, who's decided to step down um, and not run for re-election. So that really opens things up for this big batch of candidates. And we have our friend Megan Burks here from KPBS to, to talk about some of the issues in the race. Uh, hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. So, Rye, why don't you introduce us to some of the candidates who are running for D9 and what are their deals? Okay. First of all, if you don't know where it is, it's City Heights, it's College Area, it's Kensington, Talmadge. Uh, that's that's your territory for District 9. Um, there's Real ba- urban core. Mid-city also. Mid-city urban core. Several, I like these Several words. names. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, there are about a half dozen candidates uh, in the race, but there's really three that, that most people think are, are really in contention to win. Perhaps in June, uh, if somebody can get more than 50% of the vote, and then, uh, you know, maybe fight it out in November uh, among two. There's uh, Ricardo Flores. He's the chief of staff to Marty Emerald, who has the seat now. Uh, He's a former aide to uh, Congresswoman Susan Davis. Um, You have Georgetta Gomez, who's the associate director at the Environmental Health Coalition and has done a lot of environmental and sort of progressive activism um, in the city. And Sarah Saez, uh, who's a program director for the United Taxi Workers uh, and is pretty involved in the labor movement. And just sort of starting off, you know, at the end of the at the beginning of this year, uh, you know, Flores uh, had raised about 110,000. Gomez had raised about 50,000. And Saez had about uh, 20,000, 21,000 on hand. And, and that's uh, they're really the only candidates with any significant amount of money. You know, but one of the things that, that they're dealing with uh, in the race is is where people show up to vote. It's not just geographic. It's it's a lot of voter turnout. And uh, Megan uh, and her colleague, uh, Claire Tregesser, over at KPBS, wrote a really interesting story about who shows up to vote in District 9. Megan, uh, can you tell us a little bit uh, about what you found? Yeah, so Kensington shows up to vote. Um, They were one of our highest uh, turnout precincts for 2014 in the entire county. And then just across the street from Kensington, we have one of our lowest turnout precincts, um, the Teralta area of City Heights. It's made up of a bunch of little neighborhoods. And so Kensington really carries most of the vote in that part of town. Um, I think that Marty, they maybe accounted for about 60% of Marty Emerald's votes. Along with college area, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, um, so it's very diverse area, um, with sort of two very distinct kind of voting groups. Um, so in Kensington, it's about 60% turnout up to 70%. And then in city wow. Heights, it can be as low as about, um, well, 27 in the general, but I've seen it as low as 14%. And it's quite a difference. <laughs> yeah. And let's let's be clear. What's uh, what's different about um, the the demographics of of both places about Kensington and about not Kensington? So Kensington is a pretty wealthy part of town. The median income there is about ninety thousand dollars. And then again, you cross the street, and it's twenty one thousand dollars per household. 
in Kensington is a lot older. The median age is 44 years old. In City Heights, the median age is 27. So just really stark differences. I mean, Kensington, the population is 66% white. City Heights, the population is 6% white. So huge differences there. And in terms of what they're looking for, um, both kind of uh, parts of the district, are they looking for different things? I mean, in City Heights, they might have some different issues than, than Kensington? Yeah, I mean, I think that both areas are pretty liberal. And I think the entire field of candidates for District 9 um, are Democrats. Yes. Um, but in Kensington, I think, you know, they want their streets sweeping, they want their sidewalks fixed, they want services, but their sidewalks look like they're in pretty good shape. Um, so they just want maintenance, I think. In City Heights, you know, they need huge sidewalks replaced. I mean, I spoke to a resident there. We were looking for a quiet side street to do an interview. And we ended up sort of leaning on this like trashed couch that was just sitting in the middle of the sidewalk. So I think they're both looking for infrastructure, but for different reasons. And parks. I think Kensington's really interested in having some more parks is one of their issues. So how's this playing out in the race so far uh, in terms of what people are uh, you think talking about and uh, the candidates? Um, so they're all, I mean, really talking about affordable quality housing, about bringing jobs to the district, about um, public transit and smart growth. So, I mean, that's where you kind of see a catch-all. So I think people in Kensington like the idea of smart growth. You can then talk about that same issue, but talk about bringing transit to City Heights. So those are big talking points. Public safety is also an issue. And Kensington Talmadge, it's about having patrols in the area and keeping things uh, safe. In City Heights, it's a little bit more of looking at police community relations and making sure that there's transparency in the police department, that there's accountability there, and that the police officers are talking to their residents. So this was one of the things that started to frustrate me a little bit in our Ed Harris interview. So when when he talked about the police department, you know, he's a longtime employee of a city agency as a lifeguard. He very much was coming at it from the perspective of here's how I would treat the police officers, which is certainly important in talking about retention issues and, and pay and things like that. But I think when people hear from a candidate, they don't think in those terms. They think in terms of how the police interact with them as city residents. And so I think that's probably no clearer nowhere more than City Heights, where they have these tense sometimes interactions with the police. And they've been working on things like gang classifications and gang policing. And I just think that those are the kinds of issues that come to mind for residents when they talk about the police department. Yeah, but then here's where turnout comes in. There are pockets in City Heights like Azalea Park that are similar to Kensington where they they probably are keeping up to date on police staffing issues because, again, they want those patrols. It's the younger people who are talking about the police community relations, and we know that traditionally younger people don't turn out to vote. It's, it's really interesting uh, talking talking to some of the kind of surrogates for Flores and Gomez, respectively. There's this, where was Flores win X and where was Gomez win X? And it's sort of like to fact check, uh, you have to go back and have attended every town council and planning commission meeting in the past five years. And and Flores is sort of running, it seems, a little bit on his work uh, for Emerald, uh, who's endorsed him. And there's a, a little bit of tension over, did she do enough for are part of the ta- uh, are part of the district. Do you see people talking about how this election reflects on Emerald, or is it mostly about what we want next? 
It's mostly about what we want next. And I do think Emerald laid the groundwork of creating an office that listens to the community. You know, she was behind this big push for a skate park. So something seemingly kind of a small issue, but was really engaged in that discussion with youth of all people who youth who don't vote. So I think that they're looking at what's next. Is this person going to listen and have an even better ear, given that they might have a bit more of a background in the district? Because Marty Emerald, uh, her district shifted south. So she actually had to move from north of eight into the college area. It's one of the the candidates we're not really focusing on, Sam Bedwell. He he, he made this uh, remark. Uh, he said, I speak four languages. Um, I don't know how many uh, languages the rest of the candidates speak, but he, he was talking about ear. He's like, you know, this way I can, I can speak to a lot more people in the district. And, and, and that seems to be a, an issue that's sort of bubbling over a little bit is who lives where in the district. Have mm-hmm. you, have you picked up on this or people talking about yeah, this? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody I talk to sort of, they don't want to go into too much detail. People in city Heights are like really afraid to burn bridges, but they'll, they'll always say like, well, you know, one candidate, you know, hasn't even lived here for a long time. And I think they're re- referring to Ricardo. So I think he moved into to Kensington recently. So that's been a, a small talking point among voters, a big talking point among Georgette Gomez and Sarah Saez. They're really kind of trying to frame Ricardo as the establishment and they're the anti-establishment. And oh, by the way, you know, he moved in. He's just trying to get a political seat. Yeah, and, and Gomez will say, uh, you know, City Hall is broken and, and keeps talking about downtown special interests. And and sort of on the other side of that, it's sort of like, well, you know, you live where you live. Does somebody need to live in a certain part of town to represent the rest of this district that was drawn as a district? I, I, I don't know if that's the counter argument there or, or what. You know, well, I, I live where I live. What do you want me to do? Yeah, and we should say that Ricardo Flores lived at least part of his childhood in City Heights. So he's playing that up on his website. Sarah Saez, who's also fairly new to the district, she moved to San Diego six years ago from Boston. If you look at all of her talking points, I mean, she's really trying to say, hey, I'm one of you. Maybe I didn't grow up here like some of the candidates, but she has this one line on her website that says, I'm a worker, I'm a renter, I'm a graduate with student loans just like you. And she's really playing up her background in labor organizing, growing up in a working class family. She spent some of her time living in the Dominican Republic. So she's really trying to say, I'm just like you, I'm one of you, but you know, maybe I didn't grow up here. So we have a lot of battles, it looks like, that are shaping up to be intense on the Democratic side. So that's something that will be very interesting to watch. And those intraparty battles are the ones like we've seen with the city attorney's race that tend to get the craziest and sometimes the nastiest. So it seems like they're maybe keeping things kosher in City Heights so far, but we'll see how things go. So we want to move on to a new segment that we're going to do. It's called Crazy Ballot Initiatives. So there are plenty of initiatives at the city level that we're going to talk about, but you probably heard that there's an unprecedented amount of of proposed measures at the state level, and there's so many, um, and they address such a wide variety of things that I thought it would be fun to pull out a few. Now, just to be clear, the lion's share of these are never going to make it to a ballot. These are ones that have been cleared to start collecting signatures, and of course, you have to get a percentage of voters from a previous election. In this case, it's the percentage of the total votes cast for governor in the 2014 election. So there's two different bars. 
One is if you're trying to pass just a regular initiative, you need to collect, I think it's 5% of that 2014 total, which is about 365,000 votes. And if you're trying to propose something that would require an amendment to the state constitution, there's an even higher bar, and that's 8% of the of the vote total, which is over half a million votes. Sig- so that's signatures. The, uh, half half yeah, a million yeah, signatures, to, yeah. To collect them. To, that's to a lot just of get signatures. It, just get it out there, yeah. Half a million signatures um, for a constitutional amendment. So I wanted to talk about one of each. One is a regular ballot initiative, and one is a proposed constitutional amendment. The regular old initiative is one that would require legislators and candidates to take lie detector tests on the regular. Um, And this would be about where they live, so residency uh, for candidates, um, and also their conduct while in office. So one of my favorite things about reading these proposals, um, so the the Secretary of State sends out an announcement anytime an initiative has been cleared to start collecting signatures, and it gives, you know, a summary of what the measure is, and then it also includes some editorial comments from the Secretary of State, and you can almost like feel it through this press release that they're kind of trying to speak in bureaucratic language and sound really restrained, but they're like from inside their computers, like waving their hands at people to be like, just so you know, potential state costs of millions of dollars or more each year to administer lie detector tests. So they're just kind of saying, and it's in bold, hey guys, maybe you're into this lie detector idea. It's going to cost millions of dollars to actually make this happen. And in some cases, there are other notes, like the one I'm going to talk about next, um, that say... You know, this is wildly unconstitutional. Just so you know. <laughs> so, when if I'm a if I'm a lawmaker, uh, when do I have to take a, a lie detector test if this thing if this thing passes? You know, I don't know that they've determined that yet. Um, interestingly, with this initiative, so the lie detector thing is crazy, right? I don't think we're going to hook people up to lie detector tests. Who knows? But also wrapped into this initiative are actually a lot of provisions that most people would agree with, and they're largely restrictions on lobbying. So when legislators can move from uh, working for the state into lobbying on behalf of interest groups, you know, and there are plenty of people in the legislature and outside of the legislature that are working to kind of bolster those protections right now. So those are kind of some common sense things that I think a lot of people would agree with. It's just that they really lead with the lie detectors. And that's, I think, what, the what, craziest. What journalist, though, hasn't... Well, actually, I've never thought about it before, but now, what what journalist on occasion wouldn't just want a lie detector when they're interviewing a, a really difficult and and um, a source who has perhaps in the past misled them or, or not given them the full story? You know, it could be a tool. It could be. I get hauled in by the police. They might give me a lie but detector. I, as your editor, would be required to include this bolded notice. <laughs> like, this will cost our office a lot of money, just like the Secretary of State. So I'm going to move on to a proposed constitutional amendment. And it would restrict speech um, that had to do with Holocaust denial. So, you know, this is presumably under the guise of eliminating hate speech. Um, it's wrong to deny that the Holocaust ever happened, certainly. And this would allow people to file lawsuits and collect damages um, if anyone was caught denying that the Holocaust happened. And this includes 
the Jewish, Armenian, and Ukrainian holocausts. Um, oh, wow, that's very inclusive. It's very inclusive. So the interesting thing about this is that last year, there was a proposed initiative that caused a huge uproar, and that proposed that the state should kill gay people, which is obviously insane, it's obviously offensive, and it caused quite a stir until a court weighed in and said, this is you know, wildly unconstitutional, it's not gonna happen. But that spurred lawmakers last year to raise the bar for what it takes to file one of these. Um, it used to be a $200 filing fee, and they upped it to $2,000. So you have to be willing to put up a little more money to show that you're a little more serious. And the thinking is that it will eliminate some of these measures. And now, just a few months later, we have an initiative that is, you know, masquerading as something to eliminate hate speech, but it's still, you know, restrictions on speech. And so the the bold language from the Secretary of State um, in this press release is, is extensive and says, <laughs> given its restraint on free speech, a court may find this measure unconstitutional. And you can just, again, like feel them trying to be restrained. A court may find this measure constitutional. And I'm guessing he wanted to say, like, this is blatantly unconstitutional. Please don't waste our time with this. And the legal fees would be, would be a, a price for us. Right. You can do stuff like that in Europe, I think. I think in Germany they have they have a law uh, similar to that, you know, making Nazi paraphernalia and, and Holocaust denial a crime. But uh, U.S. is a little bit different, which is actually why there's been, uh, some people say, some a bit more uh, talk um, about sort of right-wing talk about uh, the Holocaust and, and about the, the Nazi era um, from sympathizers in the United States rather than in Europe. So that's just a peek at some of the ballot measures that are trying to get enough signatures to make it to your ballot in November. We'll see how it goes. Um, we're going to be sifting through a bunch of these measures and talking about them on future podcasts. So look forward to that. So we wanted to make sure to end on our favorite things each episode. And mine this week isn't political, but I'm going to put it out there. It's the new Rihanna album. I feel, first of all, I want to back up a second. So it was recently kind of made very clear to me that there's a big divide in this office, and that is between people who follow pop culture and are aware that it exists and people who are not. So this came up when we got a press release about the pop singer Jason Derulo. Big fan. I don't, I'm not really sure who that is. Exactly. As we established. We established this. And so I'm making Rihanna's new album, which is now available um, on lots of streaming services. It came out only on Tidal initially, which is Jay-Z's uh, music streaming service that no one subscribes to. So for a while. I got a, I got a trial subscription to hear the Kanye album. Yeah, um, I think that's the only reason that anyone got a trial they subscription. Have much better playlists uh, really? for all kinds of genres, I think, than than some of the other services I've had. You know, I've still been holding out, but now that Rihanna is here for the masses, I can listen to her on Spotify, um, among other things. Definitely give it a listen. I'm going to be the pop culture ambassador of the Voice of San Diego office and big fan of Rihanna's new album, so... There you go. That's my plug for the week, Rye. Yeah, I was reading uh, the the Union Tribune, the UT, uh, sure. about about Bruce Leitner's campaign. This was his mm-hmm. first interview. He's this running is Bruce Leitner, the husband of Sherry Leitner, council yes. president, and uh, uh, from District One. And uh, you know, uh, he's asked uh, 
do you, do you expect to get some some name recognition boost um, because of because of your wife? And he said, it won't be the first time, Bruce Leitner replied. Look at the Kennedy dynasty. And The um, Leitners and the Kennedys, two, just two American political dynasties. Easily comparable in everyone's... Just the same. But this really highlights what, what everybody listening knows. Yeah. The dynasty is being built brick by brick, Leitner by Leitner. There you go. That's a great favorite thing. Megan, what was your favorite thing that happened this week or that you came across? Um, I got to go with my favorite bar topic from the weekend, which comes from um, our old Metro reporter, Tara Men- Taryn Mento, who went to New York. Love her. She tweeted last week that there's a city in New York that to address the heroin epidemic is creating a Hamsterdam, like from The Wire. Whoa. So a part of town where you can use safely and freely. Just urban innovation, I guess, for better or worse. Huh. What the hell is happening in New York? <laughs> Come back to us, Taryn. All right. Those are good favorite things, you guys. Um, that's a great way to end. Who who knows who will have jumped into the race for mayor by the next time we talk with you folks. Uh, thank you for tuning into the podcast, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>